Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. The biblical book of Hosea contains a disturbing image. God commanded the prophet Hosea to take a harlot as his wife. Now, this woman bore three children, and only the first one was Hosea's. The other two were conceived in adultery. This is a really, really strong condemnation of God's own church as they have committed spiritual whoredoms against him in this end time. But then Hosea also goes on and he warns primarily Britain, but also the rest of the modern nations who descended from ancient Israel, which includes the United States. Hosea also warns the modern descendants of Judah. So the Jewish people as well. And this warning really does focus a lot on a lack of religious depth. That is true of God's church. It's also true of the modern nations of Israel, America, Britain, the Jewish people. There is not a whole lot of religious depth to talk about. And this is a pretty big problem. Notice page 21 of Philadelphia Church of God, Pastor General Gerald Flurry's free booklet, Hosea, Reaping the Whirlwind. Here's what he writes on page 21. We need to make sure we are building God's love into our lives. God is not impressed with the religion of rituals. He desires converted people who love like he does. God wants people to think and act like he does. That is what conversion truly is. Thinking, acting, and loving like God. This is not a shallow love. It is a love that takes a lifetime to build. God's church really went off track in this end time. After Herbert W. Armstrong died in 1986, pretty much immediately, the entire focus of God's work changed. It basically ceased to be God's work anymore. The whole focus turned inward. Mr. Armstrong's successors wanted to build the college. They wanted to build congregations, but they did not want to preach the good news of the coming kingdom of God to the entire world. They did not want to explain the law of cause and effect, how to be blessed, how to avoid curses. 
Mr. Armstrong preached that message. Mr. Armstrong loved the world and wanted to help everyone with that message. But at the same time that Mr. Armstrong's rebellious successors basically stopped preaching any message of value to the world, they did start donating to charity. They thought they could replace God's message with money. And the reason this is not a good idea is that sometimes God allows certain things to happen. Maybe God will allow a natural disaster to take place to remind people how horribly wrong their way of living is. Maybe those who witness such a disaster can take a moment to reflect and turn to God. And so donating to disaster relief, while that might seem pretty nice, is not the most effective way to address the problem. It is not getting back to the cause of the problem. God's message addresses the cause. God's message says, here's how to avoid ever suffering through a natural disaster again. Here is how to avoid calamity and curses and pain and suffering. Anyone can give to a charity, but not just anyone has God's message and can declare it in love to the world. It became a very shallow religion after Mr. Armstrong died. God's church no longer preached God's message. And they thought they were so righteous. They thought they were more loving than Mr. Armstrong. But what is real love? What is real religious depth? Is it just something that makes us feel good about ourselves? Maybe just throwing a little bit of money at a problem and then turning a blind eye to the fact that the problem is still there? Or does God expect something really significant from us? Notice James 1 verse 27. Before I read that, just consider what religion really is. What is what is a good definition of religion? People might say it's a system of beliefs that are related to spiritual topics, that are related to the afterlife or to the creation or to the possibility of an all-powerful God or gods out there. That's generally the idea of a religion is it's a set of beliefs. But true religion is a way of life. It's not just what we think. It's who we are. Notice James 1 verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit 
the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You see, there is a combination here in this definition. The right kind of religion involves works. It, it involves doing things to help people. And it also involves a private way of living that is pure and unspotted and upright. It, it means being righteous even when no one is watching except God. And there's a lot to this subject. We can go on into James chapter 2, the very beginning of this chapter warns against partiality so playing favorites basically we have to treat everyone with dignity and try to make everyone feel important in some way after all every human being is a child of god and even if maybe some of us are not too worthy of respect just yet. Soon we will be when we are transformed into spirit-born sons of God in the God family. At that time, we'll be radiant and beautiful and perfect and righteous all the time. Totally worthy of respect. And so the way we treat people today, our conduct and conversation with others today should always consider that the fact that human beings have just a remarkable future out in the universe creating beautifying building maintaining spreading god's law and god's way everywhere human beings every single one of them are potential children of god so we should not bow and genuflect and serve certain humans while treating other ones like garbage. We should not have any favorites. We should show God's love to everybody. James 2 verse 8 says, If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself you do well. And then verse nine, but if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. So basically having respect to persons, again, it means being partial to one person, looking down on another person, playing favorites. And notice here, verse 10, this is deep into the New Testament, by the way. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Wait a moment here. Are we talking about obeying God's law? Is this really something God expects us to do? Well, it is written in the New Testament long after Jesus Christ came and went. And he supposedly abolished his father's law. 
Yet here we have the Apostle James admonishing us to keep the whole law. These Ten Commandments that are written for us way back at the beginning of the Bible in Exodus 20. These Ten Commandments are intertwined. And so it is so easy to really be guilty of breaking every single one of them every time we break just one. James continues in verse 11, For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if you commit no adultery, yet if you kill, you are become a transgressor of the law. So we have to keep every one of the Ten Commandments. That is religious depth. Not just at some point in our lives, after living totally lawlessly, admitting that Christ is our Savior, and just saying those words. That is not how to receive salvation. It takes a lifetime of obeying and following God to receive that kind of a reward. That's what your Bible says. James 2 also talks about how to apply the law. How we need judgment and mercy. Judgment is most important. Making sure that our decisions, the way we apply the law, are fair. Making, making sure that we do apply the law in a case-by-case -case basis. For example, someone who never really gets in trouble, but then makes one mistake, doesn't need to be crushed <laughs> by authority figures. It was one mistake. And perhaps a lot of mercy can be applied in that kind of a situation. But then what if another person did the same wrong thing as the first person, but that second person also has a long track record of rebellion? Doesn't that make the application of the law apply a little bit differently to him? We all know how that works on a practical level in child rearing, in any type of leadership situation. Someone who makes just one mistake ever doesn't have to be punished severely, but someone who makes mistakes all the time has to receive a stronger punishment in love, in the hope that he will finally change. So God applies the law perfectly with perfect judgment and justice. He sees everything and he will make sure we, we receive justice. But it's also our responsibility to apply the law in our own lives, in our own families, in our own congregations, making sure we are fair, that we treat everyone the right way, 
that we apply real judgment and justice in every case. Then James 2 starts talking about faith and works. It's one thing to say we have faith in God, that we believe intellectually that Jesus Christ died for our sins and will resurrect us in the future. But what about real faith, having the actual faith of Jesus Christ dwelling in us, the faith that Jesus Christ exhibited while he was a human being? You know, the faith that he exercised when he was about to be brutally beaten and murdered. The faith that he exercised to avoid running away from that punishment, knowing that the reward would be great. The reward would be billions of sons born into the God family. All because Christ paid for our sins. Christ removes the penalty of eternal death from us once we accept that sacrifice. Once we commit to living a life like Christ did. Fighting the devil. Fighting sin. Fighting our own carnal, wicked human nature. We can accept Christ's sacrifice and have a chance at eternal life. So Christ's faith was backed up by works. His faith in God's master plan to bring us all into his family was backed up by him actually going through with this horrific, torturous death. He backed up his faith with works. And notice the example that James gives here in chapter two about why we need both, not just faith, but works as well. James two, starting in verse 15, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be you warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. That's James 2, verses 15 through 17. And that's absolutely right. At some point, we have to get beyond saying a few kind words and actually back up those words. Someone who is hungry, starving, and freezing to death needs more than a nice word. If we come into contact with with people who are really suffering, what value is it to those people if we say, depart in peace, be you warm and filled? It doesn't mean much. It doesn't help very much. And so faith has to be backed up by works. But at the same time, True religion, religious depth is not just 
trying to fill out a long list of good deeds. It goes far beyond that as well. First Corinthians 13 is known as the love chapter. And it shows how every word, every deed must be done in love. Notice here, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. It relates very well to that story from James chapter 2. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity or love, it profits me nothing. So doing the right thing for the wrong reason Doing the right thing without love doesn't mean very much. So true religion is very deep. <laughs> it is a constant way of thinking, speaking, acting. It is a way of life. It is faith with works. It is Striving for perfection, Matthew 5, verse 48. It is doing the right thing in love. It's treating all people the right way, realizing that they are children of God. It is keeping God's law. There is a lot of depth in true religion. Notice here, back in the Hosea booklet, just some more powerful admonition from Mr. Flurry. Hosea 7 verse 8 refers to Ephraim or to Britain as a cake not turned. And so on page 31 of the Hosea booklet, Mr. Flurry writes, Britain may look good on the surface, but God says in verse 8 that it is like a cake not turned already burned out underneath British society lacks any real substance. I mean, think about that. We don't have any real substance in our society, in our religion. We are suffering from powerless religion today. What answers do religious leaders of the world give? In times of crisis, they can't explain why school shootings. They can't explain why natural disasters. And in fact, people like the Archbishop of Canterbury will just say, well, I'm sort of losing faith right now because of this crisis. This has shaken my faith. You have people like the Pope who advocate wrecking national economies to slay the mythical dragon of man-made climate change. Is that a real solution? Will that actually work? Where is the hope? Where is the religious depth in these religions? It's just not there. Hosea 8 talks about just basically 
Britain, but also America having idols, trusting in nuclear power or innovation and technology and industrial strength. And our nations can feel like they are invincible because of these advantages. But on page 33, Mr. Flurry relates that back to us. And he says, we in God's church cannot rely on physical things or on people to make it into the kingdom of God. And he says, do you have some idol sitting between you and God? If any of us do, God wants us to get rid of it now. Time is running out. We have to achieve some real religious depth, depth of prayer, depth of Bible study, depth of service in God's work, depth of law keeping, removing idols, becoming one with God. Before it is too late. It's just such a staggering warning here from Hosea. But it's just something to consider. Real religious depth. Showing God's love in all we think, say, and do. We should really strive to live this way every day. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.